Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua, and you're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking about the importance of hiring people with disabilities and how you can create and execute an effective program that serves candidates of all abilities. The week of March 13th is Neurodiversity Celebration Week, challenging stereotypes and misconceptions about neurological differences and transforming how neurodivergent individuals are perceived and supported. It's a week to recognize the many talents and advantages of being neurodivergent while creating more inclusive and equitable cultures. And employers have a role. Joining me to discuss this topic is Tim Powell, People Scout Managing Director of APAC. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. So to start us off, I know you are very passionate about hiring people with disabilities. Where does that passion come from? Yeah, it's true that I'm, I'm very invested in the broader issue of uh, equality and diversity, um, both as a, from a societal challenge but also as it specifically relates to organize, uh, organizational environment. Um, my father worked for the United Nations supporting the disadvantaged, and I guess to some extent the interest in this area or the, was, was a part of my nurturing. Um, I became much more active in the disability sector through a personal experience, through the personal experience of, of uh, raising our daughter who suffers from a, a rare neurological disorder and uh, is profoundly impacted by it. Um, the focus on how we can better support people with disability entering into um, and embedding themselves in the workforce was a, was a natural development given my professional background um, and especially when it became evident to me that here in Australia, for instance, uh, in our major national disability employment program, um, 70% of, of new starters with disability do not survive the probation period with their with their employer. Um, 65% of Australian businesses are unsure how to access this pool of workers and, and uh, only one in two Australian managers or HR professionals have ever hired or worked uh, with a person with disability. And when you think that all of this is happening when the labour market, uh, when labour market challenges are a global phenomena and the and the evidence around neurodiversity has never been more obvious it it sort of engages you into the into the topic fairly quickly so taking a look at the landscape today for most employers what would you say that their programs for hiring people with disabilities typically look like yeah, I'm, I mean, in my experience, for most organisations, uh, hiring people with disability is more of a sporadic initiative rather than a structured program of work, and and therein, in part, lies lies part of the challenge. Um, that's not to say that that's the case for all organisations, but certainly for the vast majority. So the the issue is not so much what their programs look like; it's that the program doesn't have doesn't have a uh, don't necessarily have doesn't necessarily have structure around it, um, and that that then is part of the driver to to some of the outcomes I mentioned earlier. So why do these types of programs fall short, and what sort of challenges can this create for organizations trying to fulfill their diversity, equity, and inclusion missions? 
Yeah, I think, uh, Nicole, but personally, I think that uh, organisations need to first understand why they, why they want to do this. Um, is it a corporate social responsibility thing with, a, with an inclusiveness, inclusiveness focus, or is it a way of uh, accessing an available workforce to top up the resources in a tight labour market, or, or is it to enhance workforce efficiency and effectiveness during neurodiversity? They're all legitimate reasons for organisations to enter these sorts of programs or initiatives and, and to, to delve into um, the employment, uh, employing people with di uh, disability. But really understanding that and having a clear understanding of that um, um, is really important. And it may be one or more or all of these things, but understanding why is important in developing a sustainable program or one that survives over time. Um, the whole organisation needs to be brought into the program and um, understanding those reasons for it are, are cru crucial to that um, uh, expectation setting, I, I guess. The whole organisation needs to be brought into the program. It can't be the pet project of HR or any one person. The goals and the reasoning behind it need to be shared and it must have strong, visible uh, and consistent senior leadership, preferably even at a board level, and, um, and have the support of, of the senior leaders and the board. And then there's the process itself, which is often not sufficiently tailored to the needs of the people with disability or the organisation itself. And that's one of the key issues. It, it sort of gets bundled into the, the BAU recruitment process, and um, that just doesn't lead to sustainable outcomes. So if employers are looking to improve the process, how can they better understand the types of attributes that candidates with disabilities possess and what types of roles would really be a good match? Yeah, it's a good question. It starts with selecting and potentially shaping the role or the roles that are being targeted for the program. Unfortunately, there's no one right answer to, the, to this question in some ways in terms of what types of roles would be a good match. As mentioned earlier, having clarity about what is trying to be achieved by the program is important here as it will to some extent form the types of roles um, that are to be considered. Um, too often organisations select existing roles in the organisation without necessarily um, clearly thinking through um, how the person with disability might or might not be able to carry out those roles. What, we, what I've seen is that roles need to be, in many cases, need to be carved up and shaped uh, to the capabilities of the individuals being targeted. So there might be elements of, if you like, standard roles which may not be able to be executed by um, someone with a disability. So those need to be sort of carved out and thought about somewhere in a different way. Um, Organisations may, you know, may need to get assistance from a partner in the sector for this, um, a partner who's able to, to sort of talk them through the art of the possible for the program and drive informed choices around those roles. And, and certainly my experience would be that I would encourage them to do so. So partnering up with organisations who are really familiar with the cohort um, that they will be recruiting from would be a, a major support in, in trying to define those roles and shape those roles up. Now, when you talk about looking for expertise and finding someone who really understands the community and their attributes and their needs, where does that sort of expertise come from? 
Are you looking for an RPO provider? Are you looking for some sort of advocacy organization? Where can you find that? Yeah, I think that in itself is a good question as well. And and it could come in a a number of different guises. I think um, one of the challenges is some consulting type organizations will be able to help you shape work, um, but may not necessarily understand the the abilities and capabilities or be familiar with the capabilities of the cohort that you're targeting for these roles. And then if you go into a number of the service providers, disability service providers, they will understand the capabilities of the of the cohort, but will not necessarily understand the the operational environment of the organization. So there, but there are a number of organizations uh, in, here in Australia, for instance, um, there's an organization called Jigsaw Australia. There's a number of other organizations who uh, have capability that to, to work across both of those uh, areas who understand organizational, if you like, job design, uh, as well as the, the capabilities of people with, with disability and, 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 and specialize in that. So once you've defined your roles and you're working with a partner, how do you go about finding candidates? How can employers reach this talent pool? Finding candidates uh, can be really challenging for organisations, in part, particularly if they're not quite sure what they're looking for in terms of the skill sets and uh, or the roles that they're looking to include in the program of work. Uh, But the good news is that there are, you know, significant pools of talent to draw from. The first part of the question is, what exactly is it we are that we're looking for? Once you understand that, um, it, it becomes more evident about where some of those pools are. In terms of finding the pools of talent to access, once you understand what it is you're looking for, um, it probably is best to, again, partner with, uh, with an external provider in the sector. Um, and again, there are organisations that in, in many cases that can help organisations find these people. Um, here in Australia, again, um, organisations like Special Stern, Jigsaw Australia, again, uh, the like, work exclusively in helping link up people with disability to employers. Thank you. So what about the process for interviewing and assessing candidates with disabilities? What are some best practices for organizations as they evaluate their own processes? Assessing candidates, it really is about that. I talked a little bit earlier about uh, needing to assess, you know, basic competencies and attributes and capacity and willingness to learn rather than previous job experiences or, or how well someone, what someone might present. For, for people who are in, in the early stages of uh, entering the workforce who may be just fresh out of school or um, maybe in the very early parts of their career, they will, in many cases, have very limited work experience. They will not have done, in many cases, that after-school work that we might have done. They may not have uh, participated in the structured school work experience program that you or I might have done in our schooling. And so they, in many cases, um, are challenged by some of the very basics around work experience in terms of even things like understanding workplace etiquette, timeliness, and some of these sorts of things. I sit on the board of directors for a progressive service provider that thoroughly prepares people with disability to enter the workforce. They work through a series of competency-driven programs to build 
uh, the individual's readiness and confidence to join and, and thrive in the workforce. Uh, this is not a short-term program. Participants can be in this stage of, of development um, for anywhere up to two years or more before being ready to venture out into the open market. We see this as being a game changer in terms of fixing the ratio of people with disability being able to make their employment stick beyond the, the first three to six months. And it's a way of, of compensating, I guess, and, and tooling people up for the basics of work. And, and so what that means for employers looking to enter into a, a uh, program for employing people with disability is that um, you need to be just really clear around, uh, again, what it is your, the core competencies are and take a long-term view in the development of those individuals. And also, again, um, without wanting to harp the point, uh, potentially work with a, a development partner who can can help you navigate the base development of people's competencies and skills in the in the workforce. So, looking at the next step in the process, how can talent leaders prepare their internal talent teams and managers so that they're equipped to make the onboarding process as smooth as possible and ensure success for their new employees? Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's there's a line of thinking that says it's best not to draw attention to a person's disability. So don't make too much of a fuss about it with others uh, in a in a new work environment. And while I can appreciate where that thinking comes from, I don't particularly subscribe to the approach. Is uh, in my experience, it often leads to misunderstanding and and alienation. I think that making sure that everyone around the individual is, is, is aware of the situation, while of course respecting the, the, the sensitivity of the situation, um, and that everyone clearly understands the role that the person is being employed for and what and that the expectations are aligned uh, is the first step. So talking to managers and other team members about the characteristics and preferences of a person is entirely appropriate if it's done in a way that's sensitive to that individual's privacy and dignity. In fact, it's critical that that conversation take place, that people uh, understand in advance elements of what they can expect with their new colleague. You know, throwing a person with autism into a group meeting and, say, asking the question about, say something about yourself or to talk up into a, into a group meeting is often not going to be a comfortable experience for them. It, it just is the way most people with autism are, are wired. Team members need to be sort of aware that their colleague may not make eye contact, for instance. And that's, that's because it's their preference, not because for any other reason, and that they shouldn't take that personally or stop interacting with them. And this is where that education piece and that training piece, both in advance of the, the colleague, new colleague starting or in the very early stages of, of onboarding, is really important. Now, what about going beyond that, you know, starting the new job? What can employers do to ensure that their new hire has continued success within their organization? Yeah, ongoing support is obviously the, the short answer, making sure that the person has someone that they're comfortable with outside of their direct manager. Uh, checking in on them is really important. And it's also important that that organisations engage with the person about, about what support they feel they need and how, how they are finding their experience and how they think it might be improved upon. 
people with disability generally want to be engaged with and are, and are open to talking about what support they require. In fact, in many cases, they're very used to it just because of the nature of their general interaction and their livelihood. So they want to be consulted. And, and sometimes I find um, employers are uncomfortable with asking those questions. And, but in reality, the, the, the person for, with the disability is busting to, to, have a, to express their point of view. Organisations need to be prepared to adjust the, the role if some elements are not working. Um, there may be additional training or support that is required. And there may need to um, be additional work in managing or adjusting the expectations of all involved once you get into the in-run. The point around this is, is that I think employers need to be actively thinking about what could be done differently to produce a better outcome. Uh, checking in with the manager and the team on how they are feeling about it is also important. So it's not just about how the individual is feeling that it's progressing, but how the manager and the team around them are feeling is also important. And, and again, highlights the, the need to be prepared to be adapt. Lastly, it's important to say that if everything's being done, but the outcome is not meeting expectations uh, of any party, uh, then be prepared to act. Don't linger on it uh, because that's not actually helping anyone. Sometimes I've noticed employers um, shy away from difficult decisions around these things just because of the circumstance. Um, but that, again, doesn't help anyone. And um, those decisions need to be thought through and the way in which some of those decisions might need to be made need to be really carefully planned and, and prepared. But don't shy away from it because it doesn't achieve the outcome. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today? Only, only to say that recognize that and experience would show that this isn't easy. And if it was easy, more organizations would be much further down the path than they are with this. But to emphasize that it is worthwhile, not only from a societal feel-good factor, but because it makes good business sense. Uh, start small, build confidence, think laterally, and then see where it goes to from there. It's a, it's a wonderful journey. Um, if you're committed to it and 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 plan um, plan through it, um, so my only point is um, to encourage organisations to think ambitiously about employing people with disability. Um, there's a lot to be gained from everyone from that. Well, that's a perfect place for us to wrap up. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Nicole. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our website or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Talking Talent is a People Scout production, music by Sound Design through Shutterstock. <laughs>